Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Before I get into the content of the message this morning, I came across an interesting article and it's entitled How to Stay Safe in Today's World. How many of you know we are focused on sanitizing and masks and safety? But this article took a different tack and it says this, it says if you want to stay safe, it gives you several things. Number one, avoid riding in cars because they're responsible of 20% of all fatal accidents. Number two, do not stay at home because 17% of all accidents occur in the home. Number three, avoid walking on streets or pavements because 14% of all accidents occur to pedestrians. Number five, avoid traveling by air, rail, or water because 16% of all accidents involve these forms of transportation. Wait, it gets worse. Of the remaining 33%, listen to this, 32% of all deaths occur in hospitals. Above all else, avoid hospitals. And then it says you'll be pleased to learn that only 0.001% of all deaths occur in worship services in church. And it wraps up by saying this. So logic tells us that the safest place for us to be at any given point in time is at church. Can you say amen? Well, welcome online church. Looking forward to seeing you soon in the house. And it's convenient right now for us to do what we do. Government restrictions mandate that. But we're looking forward for God's church to be gathered under heaven, under his presence in the future. Well, as I kick off the message today, we're looking at part two of rebuilding our lives. Rebuilding our lives. And how many of you know that if you're going to rebuild your life, the first place to start is in the spiritual dimension? And I'm not going to deal with rebuilding our spiritual lives today. I will focus on that from a unique angle in the days ahead. But I wanted to start by saying this, and I found it quite amazing as I read this article. There are Star Wars fans out there, I don't know if you know, that are obsessed with Star Wars. I don't understand it because it's never gripped me, but if you won, God bless you, each to his own. Everybody's got different tastes. But there was one group who spent their time, their money, and their effort to travel all the way to Tunisia to the movie set to rebuild Luke Skywalker's home. It had got into disrepair. And, uh, you know, this is a movie prop that they built. This is not a real house. It's a movie prop. And they collected online 165,000 rand. And they traveled there and they put their effort into replastering and, and returning it to its former glory. Now it's become like a tourist attraction. But gosh, are there, is there nothing else to do with your time and money than to rebuild a prop house? But wait, it gets worse. There's a guy who's got a house in California, and he's put it on the market. Listen to the price of this house. It is 382 million rand. I don't even know of buildings that cost that much. This building didn't cost that. Nonetheless, the reason he's selling it is because it's full of collectibles from Star Wars. The whole house is filled from wall to wall, different places, and it's filled with all the Star Wars memorabilia, and he's selling now 282 million rand. 
And here's the thing. It's amazing how much time and effort people will put into building prop houses, but how little time and effort they'll put into building God's house. It's time for us to show where our values lie, that we're not preoccupied with trivia, with stuff that is entertainment that doesn't last, but we're committed to building God's house, building His church. Now this morning we're going to look at the book of Haggai. In fact, we're going to read the whole book. You say, what? Yes, because it is only two chapters, 38 verses, 1,085 words, and if you read it from beginning to end, it would only take five minutes. People say, where's the book? Yeah. Can you, how many of you have heard a sermon on Haggai? You may have heard an offering message on it, but very few people have heard a sermon on the book of Haggai. It's the third last book in the, New, in the Old Testament, sorry, and he's one of the minor prophets, there are 12 of them, but he's got a major message for today. And we're going to read this book together. I'm going to read chapter one, then look at three things. Chapter two, look at three things from it. And we're going to learn how important God's house is and how it affects our lives and what God's calling us to do concerning rebuilding. Can you say amen? You'll notice in the book four times, it says the word of the Lord came to Haggai. So this is not his ramblings. This is a message from God. The background to the book is important. It was written at the time of Ezra, Ezra chapter 1 to chapter 4, when the temple started rebuilding. They began the rebuilding, Cyrus made a decree, but the rebuilding of the temple was stopped. Why was it stopped? Interestingly, it was stopped because the Samaritans asked the Jews if they could join them in rebuilding the temple. They said, no, you don't belong to us. Get away. We're doing it on our own. So the Samaritans were uh, so fed up that they wrote a letter and they complained about them, judged their motives. And guess what? Right up till Jesus' day, the Jews and the Samaritans were separate from each other. That's why in the parable of the good Samaritan, the Samaritan is seen as what? Someone like that did good? And that separation continued. If only they could have worked together. It wasn't a wise decision. Adversity never brings victory. And so now Haggai comes along. They've stopped building. These letters have been written. The decree has changed. The temple stands and they go and focus on their own homes. They go and focus on their fields. And they start rebuilding what they needed to rebuild because they come back to a ruin. The city was ruined. The fields had been lying for 70 years. And so they got on with the job, which is what they needed to do. But Haggai said, hang on a minute. You need to get back to rebuilding the house of God. Now, you and I need to build our businesses. Get on with it and do it. But don't neglect the house of God. We need to build our families. But you do it in conjunction with building the house of God. And so into this context, Haggai writes his book. And uh, he writes this story, or rather he tells these prophecies, I should say, to open the eyes of God's people so that they will see as God sees. So let's read because uh, we will pick up here and I'll make comments, just quick comments, and then we'll look at three simple things from chapter one, three simple things from chapter two. Are you ready? Haggai chapter one and verse one. In the second year of King Darius, the Persian king, on the first day of the sixth month, notice this is a distinctive time in history, so it's not fables, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel. There's a good baby name. Son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, so written to the political leader, and to Joshua, son of Jezodak, 
the high priest. So God's writing to the political reader and to the church, and he's speaking to them, and he's saying this. This is what the Lord Almighty, 14 times you see that phrase, Lord Almighty. Uh, uh, these people say, in other words, they've got an opinion, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. In other words, I want you to realize what's happening in your life. Then he says, you've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your full. You put on clothes from Zara and H&M, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. See, it's not that they didn't have. It's that it amounted to nothing. He says here, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Second time, give careful thought to your ways. I want you to really think about what's happening in your life. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored. I want you to notice that. Did you know that God takes pleasure in things? And that through our deeds, he is honored. Do you know that when you come early and you worship God, he is honored and he takes pleasure in it. You, you mustn't come to the worship and say, I don't really like the songs. And you know, as I've got older, my legs, you know, I find it hard to stand. It's not about you. It's about honoring him and giving him pleasure. People stand in queues and Stand for all sorts of things. We need to worship God and bring Him pleasure. And He says, I want you to think about it. Your life is, is, is not turning out as you like. Things are just flowing through your hands. There's inflation in your life. And He says, I want you to bring pleasure to God and honor Him. He says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. Now watch here. What you brought home, I blew away. This is God speaking to His people. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own home, buying homeowner magazine, going to at home, and furnishing it. That's in the original Hebrew. <laughs> now notice, therefore, notice this, therefore because of you. In other words, you did this, not me, because of you. The heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and on the mountains and on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, sorry, the high priest and the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord, that's what we need today, fear of God, means respect and honor. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. Notice in response to them fearing the Lord, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jezodak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Here endeth the first chapter. You've just read half a book of the Bible. <laughs> you know, it takes you five minutes from beginning to end to read two chapters. It took me about five minutes to read because I made comments. But here's the message of the Lord, the Lord Almighty, 
to the governor, to Joshua the high priest, and explaining what's going on and stirring up their spirits, and they respond. And God is saying, do you want to know what's going on in your world? It's going on because of me. You think things are running out of control? Inflation is just a dynamic? No, I am still the Lord Almighty behind the scenes, and I orchestrate things, and they depend on your attitude towards my house. I don't want to badger you today or pressurize you in any way, but I do trust that as we read this book, your spirit will be stirred. And if your spirit's stirred, we'll do great things for God in the days ahead. So three things that come from this chapter. Number one, we must respect God's sense of timing, not our own. You see, they said, the time has not yet come. Hmm? It's not that they didn't want to rebuild, they just didn't think it was the right time. Do you know that at the moment, after COVID, some people, it's not quite the time to come back yet. No, no, you need to sense God's sense of timing, not your own. And we need to hear the voice of the Spirit, not the voice of our emotions. We need to be very sensible and very wise, but we need to hear God's voice, and we need to have God's sense of timing. And Haggai says to them that God is asking, is this the time for you to be doing that? How come you using your time for that when God is saying you must use your time for this? You see, we must know God's sense of timing. I do believe the hand of the Lord is on the world at the moment, and God's timing, as it's unfolding, it, it, it will, it will, you will see some strange things happening in the world, and you will see God reviving people like he's never done it before. There's a sense of hunger and a desire for the presence of God like never before, especially because people have become vulnerable through COVID. It's something you can't even see or touch. You can't even figure it out. And we need to know that we can't just focus on physical rebuilding, your marriage, your family, your business, eating out, sport, shopping. It's amazing how people go out shopping. Have you noticed how people don't even walk? They don't go down the aisle of the supermarket and avoid you. They almost bump into you. I have to like, if I'm pushing a trolley and I come around the corner, I go like, oh, there's someone coming. They just walk straight for me. I'm like, I let them know. Because then when we get to the queue, we, they like look at you like, stand away from me. We, we, we're weird. And then when it comes to church, ooh, they're singing, they're shouting. He preaches, he spits, ooh, we're coming. You know what Haggai says? The time of God is now. It's not too soon. We've got to focus on our businesses and our homes and rebuilding our marriages and families but they started to lose interest because the minute you think it's not God's timing, your interest will lie elsewhere. Matthew Henry's commentary on the book of Haggai is interesting, and I've studied Matthew Henry's commentary since I first became a Christian. Uh, how long ago is that? I don't know. When did I get saved? 48 years ago. So I've been reading this book for quite a long time. Let me quote it. He says, when the violence of the opposition had abated, they continued very indifferent to it, had no spirit nor courage to set about it again, the rebuilding, but seemed glad that they had a pretense to let it stand. I've got a reason. Though those who are employed for God may be driven off from their work by a storm, yet they must return to it as soon as the storm is over. Can you say Amen. You see, we can't use it as an excuse. You've got to get back to it. 
And so we must respect God's sense of timing, not our own. Number two, the second thing we read from this is our blessings are coupled to prioritizing God's house. You need to know that. Your blessing is coupled to the prioritizing of God's house. He says, give careful thought to your ways. Twice he says it, three times in the next chapter. He wants you to consider what's going on in your life and for you to realize. And he's saying, you've come back after exile. There seems to be an improvement, but you're not enjoying the full blessing. Why? I want you to think about it. It's because you're not prioritizing me. And you know, we can expect the blessing of God from the promises of God. We can, we can hold on to God's promises in his word. But the thing is this, if we're not prioritizing him, you can't just claim his promises. There's got to be a relationship. And then you claim the promises. And you do what is pleasing to him. You see, God's house, when it's not your priority, everything in your life will not be fulfilling. You'll have food, you'll have clothes, you'll have stuff. It's like people who don't know the Lord, they've got everything, but they've still got something missing. It's because they haven't prioritized the Lord. When you make him Lord, everything fits together. And the Lord is saying, your blessings are coupled to prioritizing my house. Now, notice what the scriptures teach us here, just three verses. Proverbs 3 and verse 6, in everything you do, put God first, and doesn't just stop there. It says, and he will what? Direct you, you'll get guidance, and crown your efforts with success. Things will go well for you, and you will see amazing blessing, but it takes prioritizing God. Don't just believe for blessing and agree for blessing and read the Bible for blessing. No, prioritize God and then the blessing flows. Deuteronomy chapter 14 tells us why we should tithe. Look at this. The purposes of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. The purpose of tithing is not to pay the staff salaries. The purpose of tithing is not to pay the ESCOM bill. The purpose of tithing is not to clean the building. The purpose of tithing is for you to put God first. Because when you put Him first and keep Him central with your money... Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Give God a clap you wanted to. Can you see how this works? See, now Jesus said it the same way to his disciples. And I want you to notice, he's kind of echoing Haggai here in Matthew chapter 6. And these are verses you know well. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, you need to work, you need to plan, you need to be industrious. He's not saying you mustn't do that. You need to think ahead, you need to be sensible, you need to save, you need to go and buy clothes and food, because otherwise you'll be naked and you won't eat. But you don't chase it and put God second, you make him first, and then when you do those things, there's a fulfillment and a satisfaction that comes into your life. That's why so many people are not satisfied, and Jesus taught you, don't over-prioritize the material to the exclusion of the spiritual. Our blessings are tied to God's priorities. We, we, we must not only steward our money, we must steward our minds towards God all the time. Can you say amen? See, if you don't, if you don't, then Mark chapter 8 becomes a reality. For whoever wants to save his life will 
loses. See, you chase the wrong thing, and it eludes you. David and Solomon both prioritized God's house. David had a heart for God's house. Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God is in a tent. Solomon first built God's house before he built his palace. And that's why God blessed both David and Solomon. And here's here's, here's an important thing to understand. Inflation does not only have natural reasons, it has spiritual reasons. Too many must think of inflation as a purely natural dynamic occurring in the world. The book of Haggai says, no, no, there's a spiritual dynamic that causes inflation. You earn a lot, but it amounts to little. You harvest, but it doesn't come to much. You've got stuff, but you can't seem to buy nothing with it. Money loses its value. Why? Because of your attitude towards God. C.S. Lewis sums it up well. He says, put first things first, and second things are thrown in. Put second things first, and you lose both the first and the second things. You know what I love about this is the minute they put God first and feared Him, then the Lord said this, I'm with you, says the Lord. God immediately responds to us prioritizing Him. Don't think that your timing God must fit in with. And make sure you make God a priority. The third thing here, as I go quickly, obedience and fear of the Lord leads to favor. The minute they obeyed and feared the Lord, then the Lord responded in verse 12 by saying, I'm with you, says the Lord. And then their spirits were stirred and uh, a sense of his presence came into their life. This powerful thing. And God uh, starts the rebuilding because they're going to honor him. I I want you to realize this is very important because this is not taught in many churches around the world, that when we obey God, God takes pleasure in it and he's honored. Today, the teaching is, no matter what you do, God loves you. You can never take away God's love. That's not true. Just think of a home. No parent says you can draw on the walls, smash the light fixtures, climb on the coffee table, scratch the furniture, take a key, and ride it down my brand new BMW, and I will just love you. Fundamentally, yes, you will love them, but right then you want to kill them. That's the nature of parenting, and God feels the same about us. He doesn't kick us out of the family, but he says, hey, don't live as a Christian, scratching the car, smashing the lights, and then coming to church and singing as though it didn't matter. Think about how to live, make me a priority, build my church, and then you will be honoring me, and you will bring pleasure to me. Those of you that don't know this, go and read Ephesians chapter 5. Whole list of things about behavior, for this is pleasing. Find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Why does it say that if you don't have to please God? See, every doctrine that is taught to the, ex- to the exclusion of others is heresy. Anytime you teach one thread, you're making it an extreme. I know you're trying to emphasize it, but that's all you teach. You create unbalanced Christians. They're standing on one leg. You've got to stand on two legs. Are you with me? And we need discernment in these days because it seems like people will teach that which creates popularity. And what happens is th- this church will teach certain things that people will run to another church and they'll say, your Apostle Andre teaches legalism, but there they teach grace. In other words, there you can go do what you like. Now here we are, have a household of faith. And here you can clearly see pleasing to the Lord. So whose interests matter to you today? Yours or God's? When God's matter, then blessing comes. That's why, you have to, that's why he says, give careful thought today. Chapter 2. Now, this is three weeks after the first one. 
and uh, another prophecy comes. Are you with me? And here again, we see this is an exact time with exact dates. This is a real event that took place in history. In the second year of King Darius of Persia, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Watch this. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? It's in lockdown. Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now, be strong, uh, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong. Notice that phrase three times. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. You saw what it was, but listen to me. I want you to look ahead to what it can be. And I want you all to be strong and not be phased and be afraid and work. I love that, declares the Lord. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. In other words, troubles happen. Losses happen. But don't be afraid. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth the sea and the dry land. Here's the Lord Almighty speaking. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. Speaking of Jesus. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Because Jesus would come and he would walk through the rebuilt temple. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. See, in Jesus' the day, in Jesus day the temple was incredible. It was rebuilt and Jesus was there. And this is Haggai's prophecy about that. Verse 10, on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is three months later now. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew or wine or olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. This comes from the Old Testament law. We don't have time to go to it. Then Haggai says, if a person defiled comes in contact with a dead body, touches one of those things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. But what's the point of asking this? Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. What's he trying to say here? He's saying, because your heart's not right, and because your attitude and your priority is right, everything else you do is not right, and it is messed up. But if you get that right, then everything you begin to do will be right in your life. But at the moment, because you're not right, it's not working. And so he goes on to say, you know, now give careful thought to this. This is another three times this is said. From this day on, consider how things were before one stone was laid upon another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. Inflation. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. It evaporated. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundations of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Can you see? Is there yet any seed left in the barn? They just sown their seed. It was that time of year. 
Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive trees have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Can you see? The minute you get your priorities right, everything changes. So the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. It's the second time he says it. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots, their drivers, horses, and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. You go, oh my word. <laughs> it's actually very simple. And we've just read the whole book of Haggai. If you've never read a book of the Bible, you just did it. In church, with me, with a message with six points. Come on, you ought to clap for that. So seriously, what is this chapter now saying? Another three things that we need to understand and apply. The first thing we read in this chapter is this. God is asking us to see what can be and act. In other words, like we said last week, to catch the vision of rebuilding for not just our lives and our country, but for our church as well. Who saw this house and how does it look now? Well, it's partly filled and empty rows and you have to book a seat. And I remember the days when we used to have two sisters conferences back on back. Well, guess what? There's coming a day when it could be three. But it's gonna take us seeing it and working towards it, it's not just going to happen. And it's going to start by honoring God, pleasing Him, putting Him first. I'll tell you what, when prayer and worship is elevated, watch God move beyond our pamphlets and our marketing. This month of fasting has seen incredible results. They had one of the best meetings ever in Centurion because of the fasting and prayer. Not because we've got a cinema and a good vibe and a big screen. These are great things that help us, but we need the touch of God. And he's saying, can you see what God sees? Because when you begin to see that the, the, the latter will be better than the former, that the, that the best is yet to come, literally, then, you know, Solomon's temple was amazing, but, you know, when Jesus walked through the temple with the disciples, it was even more amazing. Don't you remember in Mark chapter 13, it, it says this, as, as he, Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. It was better than the previous. That's why he remarked. And he's standing with the son of God in that temple. Haggai said it would happen, and he wanted the people then to catch the vision of what could be and of future generations. Listen to me. This church mustn't just get full because we don't like it empty. This church needs to be strong, sound, financially, spiritually. Why? Because the next generation needs to be launched. I don't know how much time I've got on this planet. Many of my friends have passed away. One of my closest friends who I dearly love, Pastor Donovan, he's on his deathbed right now. They say it's either two, three days or two weeks maximum and you'll be gone to glory. Those kind of things impact you. And so I don't preach so that you can fill up church for the next three months to make me feel good about the vibe in the building. This is about building so that the next generation, like young people like you, sitting here, a young generation can be launched on a strong platform, good facilities, strong finances, and can continue Rivers Church. I don't want a hotel built you once I'm dead. 
Come on. God is asking us to see what can be and to act. You see, it's no good that you say, I go to rivers. I'm a Christian. I'm not into all that fanatical. I go now and again when we're not too busy. We might go to the dam. We might go up to the Pilansburg. No, no, no. Church needs to be a priority. God needs to be a priority. See, it's not just belief, it's works. Let me remind you, church, quickly, James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And can I just say this? When the Bible says brothers, it means humanity. So don't write to me and say, you mentioned brothers. Can we get another translation? When it says man and man, it means woman too. Woe man. Some women are woe man. No, it means man. If it says brothers, it means sisterin. <laughs> works. Can that faith save him? Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son on the altar? Sacrifice? Surrender like we did today? It's works? See that your faith was active along, sorry, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. God says, see it, and then act. The second thing is God is still in ultimate control of all things. The biggest danger we face right now after COVID is God let control of the world fall into the hands of the virus, and he stepped back and he didn't do anything. No, God orchestrates everything. He allows things to happen because he is God Almighty. 14 times in the book we read that, and he reminds them, when you see trouble and disaster, don't just think it's happening Give careful thought because I'm behind it. And nothing happens without me. And you know what? Stuff happens, but I'm in control. And I will again shake the heavens. And I will shake the earth. And God is not just leaving things to be in chaos. He's involved in it. And then he says to Zerubbabel, you will be like my signet ring. Interesting thing, Zerubbabel was the grandchild of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. The grandchild. Jehoiakim didn't honor God, so you know what God did? You can study it in Scripture. He removed his signet ring. The signet ring used to be the seal in wax, which said you had authority over life, death, and finances. And it was pulled off Jehoiakim's hand, and it was put onto Zerubbabel's hand, showing you've got authority, power, and resources to build God's house, because whoever serves God will carry the signet ring. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, don't clap. When the, pro when the prodigal came home, what did they do? They put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Do you know that as a child of God, you carry a signet ring of authority, finances to lead and to build? And God wants you to use that to lead and build his church. And he says, I'm doing all this stuff and stuff's going on and inflation is occurring, but I am behind it and I need you to build my temple. Build my house. Make it a priority. Point number six. Can you believe it? We've done six points and a whole book. Come on, we're living in the day of marvels. Here's the thing quickly. Rebuilding carries the promise of blessings and abundance. As we rebuild with God and for God, blessing and abundance is ours. The Lord points to it. From this day on, he says, in verse 19, I will bless you. 
as you focus on me, as you honor me, as you take your eyes off just material pursuits, build your house, do all that, but put me first, watch me bless you. Because my blessings are attached to your priorities. And I love how he declares it. Uh, I will bless you. Wonderful thing, eh? And, 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 and this is what people say. Oh, well, Pastor Andre, isn't it you and the staff's job to build the church and some of the fanatical volunteers, you know, they're like really into it? No, 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 no. Here's the thing. Think about Israel. Only 10% of the nation of Israel were priests. But all of the nation of Israel were called by God. You see, only 10% of Rivers Church or maybe a fraction of Rivers Church are called and in full-time ministry. All of us are called to build God's house. And the way we get out of it is we say, oh, I'm not called, I'm just an attender. No, you as a Christian are called by God in business or wherever you are to build God's house and to build a nation. And so we need to recognize that. And then when we do, the blessing of God flows. What a wonderful book calling us back. And, and you know, whenever you do what God wants you to do, then it amounts to blessing in your finances and even in your emotions. You know, as I wrap up here in a moment, 2009, the Newsweek magazine reported a medical study out of California which said this, they found that people who were lonely and isolated are more prone to experiencing lower achievement in life. They also have lower self-esteem and more prone to self-destructive behavior. Connecting in community means you get what you need to ensure that you are successful in serving God. Newsweek said this, when you are connected to other people who live by faith, have the right attitudes and the right purposes, sorry, the right God purposes, your life will be fulfilling. It's time to rebuild. We need to act and we need to see God's blessing and it will be better than before. As I close you, before I pray with you today, I just want to make an important point. How many of you remember the terrible Hurricane Katrina that swept over New Orleans in, uh, was it 2005? Destroyed 80% of New Orleans and uh, 1,464 people died, $70 billion. I can't even translate that into rands, it's squillions of rands. But uh, 205 kilometer winds and the city was flooded and destroyed and it was so bad that most people thought that the city couldn't be rebuilt. It was like after the Second World War. No one had the optimism or the faith. There was such despair. Not, you see, the problem is, not only was the city da damaged, the people were damaged. Because you know what people got into? Just like in South Africa during COVID, people got into looting, stealing, bad behavior, negative attitudes, political uprisings. That kind of trauma leads to other kind of trauma. That's why as Christians, we are the light of the world. We show people how really to live, even in difficulty. And they said, you know, would, would, would we be able to build it? Here's an interesting thing about Hurricane Katrina. Churches were closed for two years. And they struggled to get them open because people didn't want to come back. And you know what they said? No, it's unhealthy to come back into those buildings. How weird is that? Anyway, there was a guy, he wrote a book about it. And I'll just quote a short thing. Tom Piazza, Why New Orleans Matters. And I mean, he wrote a whole book, you know, he wrote a whole book about it. But this, this is just an excerpt here that I'm going to close with. He says, at one point, early on, some public figures even asked whether it made sense to rebuild New Orleans. Would you let your own mother die because it didn't make financial sense to spend the money to treat her 
or because you are too busy to spend the time to heal her sick spirit. He's basically saying, how, you wouldn't do it to your mother. How could you do it to the city? Well, here's an interesting thing. You know what Augustine said? You as God as his father must have the church as his mother. How can we let this thing die and feel it's not worth it? Or it's too dangerous? No, we have to re revive our hearts and give careful thought to what's going on. And then together say, let's rebuild. Let's build this church. Let's get going again. Let's get it established. Let's get it thriving. What it once was is nothing compared to what it's going to be. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.